Let's just give the Lord a hand. That was phenomenal. Wow. We're in Mark, guys. Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick it up at verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeting him. And he asked the scribes, What are, the, this, uh, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whoever is seized, sees him, it throws him down. And he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long should I be with you? How long should I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has been thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he's killed, he will raise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. Bow your heads and hearts with me so that we might pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just praise you and we bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the countless and abundant blessing. In each and every one of our lives, Lord God, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us on the cross, Lord God. Thank you for redeeming us, Jesus. Lord God, I just pray that your word would pierce our hearts. That the seed of your word, the light of your word, would land on fertile soil of our hearts. That we might receive it. That seed might grow and bring you glory. I pray, Lord God, that you would use our pastor, Pastor Jack, as a conduit for your spirit, your truth, your word, and that he might transform us. And we thank you for him, and we thank you for this day. And now we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
As we look at this section of scripture, it's uh, it's a section of scripture. I think the Lord has a very specific thing to to teach us, to open our eyes to. In uh, in Second Timothy, I want to say it's chapter four. Let me look. Yeah, Second Timothy four, verse two says this: Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. Be ready in season and out. And when we look at this section of scripture, really, I think that's what God is uh, is laying out for his disciples. Now, we have an advantage over them. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. The Holy Spirit's coming in Acts chapter 2 for them. But for you and I, we're able to say, I can be ready right now. I can be, no, none of us know what's waiting down the hill from us, do we? How many times have you gone somewhere, experienced a, a spiritual high, God's really spoke to you, get really excited about what the Lord's doing and how God's moving, only to come down the hill into the abyss, right? You come off of that spiritual mountain, spiritual high, really stoked about what God's doing and, and you get pulled over three times on the way home and, and uh, you know, your children are both in jail and whatever. All, we've been through it all. <laughs> well, not the jail part yet. <coughs> There's still time though. <laughs> so, uh, but when we experience those things, I think Jesus wants us to realize that, you know, we, last week we just saw Jesus. Remember, he, he tears the veil of his flesh for a moment. He lets the deity out. He lets the glory of God, which is inside of him, not reflecting, but which is inside of them, come out. And, and so Peter, James, and John get this incredible moment where they get to see the glory and the majesty and the power of God. Now they've seen it through the years as they've been walking with Jesus, but, but even more so they get to see this moment. And, and you can imagine as they're coming down the mountain, they, they're excited and they're talking about stuff. And man, it was really cool. Thanks, Jesus, for letting us be here. And as soon as they get to the bottom of the hill, the trouble's waiting. They're fighting down at the bottom. There's, there's a problem with, with, ultimately with the other nine disciples, but it's, it's a, a, a date that Jesus set aside to say, this is a time I'm going to teach. Be ready in season and out. It's too late to get ready after something happens. Isn't it? It's too late to be prayed up. It's too late to have your, your flesh under control and your spirit really walking strong with the Lord if the moment is already occurring. God wants us to live in that readiness. To live in that readiness, what did Paul say? To preach the word. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. What's the next phrase? Go, therefore. Go. What's he telling us to go do? Preach a word. Herald. Tell people about Jesus Christ. What Jesus is doing in your life. You don't got to be a theologian. You don't have to have the whole Bible memorized. But you have your experience with God that nobody can argue with. Tell people about how much God means to you. That's what the herald did. The herald would walk through town ahead of the dignitary, right? Talking about how great the guy is. Oh, you can't wait till you see. Wait till you see. Oh, man. So that was what the herald did. That's what preaching is. Just heralding the beauty, the majesty, the glory of Almighty God. So as we take a look uh, this morning, let's, let's look there at verse 14. 
And keep in mind, this is, I think, what Jesus is laying out for us. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. The scribes were the lawyers of the day. Now here's what we probably recognize from this. So as, as we see the story, we know that, that there's been an attempted healing and it's failed. So what do you think the scribes are arguing with the disciples about? Because everywhere the disciples go, they're going, Hey guys, the Messiah's here. The Messiah's here. And he's given us authority. Hadn't Jesus done that? Hadn't Jesus given the disciples authority and sent them out? And when he sent them out, didn't they heal the sick? Didn't they cast out demons? Didn't they see the, the, the power of God working through their lives? So this, we're going to see in a moment, this guy brings his child. They're not able to help him. And so the scribes begin arguing with him. Yeah, we knew that wasn't the Messiah. Well, that was the Messiah. You'd have the strength. That was the Messiah. You'd be able to do the things that you claim to do. So there's this argument going on. But it says, immediately when the crowd saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and ran to him and greeted him. The people want Jesus. The people do not want me. The people do not want you. Doesn't matter how famous you get, or how much the press may write about you and say how great you are. The people need Jesus. And the point of the story is, that if we don't bring them to Jesus, and we're not doing things under Jesus' authority and through Jesus' power, we can't do anything. Without Him, we can do nothing, right? We've got to have Jesus with us, working, moving through us. So it says, He asked the scribes, Jesus, He asked the lawyers, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. He's a demonic possession. He's got a demon inside of him. A lot of people want to look at this story and say, well, he's got a mute spirit and a deaf spirit and a spirit of epilepsy. No, oh, he's got a demonic spirit. And the way the demonic spirit is... is uh, persecuting the child is through these things he can't speak he can't hear and he has fits convulsions that throw him into the fire and into the water the bible's very clear when somebody has epilepsy to say he has epilepsy they weren't dumber then so he they can point to it when they point to demonic possession that's what they're pointing to He's demon-possessed. The problem, he's demon-possessed. He has a demon. That's what the Bible lays out for us. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And what we see in this section of Mark is the importance and the need for prayer. Prayer is probably one of the most neglected disciplines within a Christian's life. When do we fall back on prayer? When everything else has failed, right? And we say this phrase before we do it. Well, I guess all I can do is pray. I already tried everything else. So all I can do is pray. It's a neglected area. It's, it's one of the areas that, that Jesus over and over and over again exhorts his disciples, he says, you got to be in prayer. Every, every morning, the Bible would say, Jesus would withdraw himself and he would pray. And the word utilized for prayer is that it was an extended time that Jesus would go just himself and he would pray. When he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, what was he doing up there with the disciples? Praying with them. 
When we come to the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, you guys remember Gethsemane, right? Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, had the disciples with him. Do you remember what he told the disciples? He said, pray, lest you fall into temptation. Jesus knows what's coming up the mountain. The disciples have no idea. But what happened to their prayer time? It became nap time. Now look, there's, there's really nothing wrong with praying and then falling asleep. It's one of my favorite ways to go to sleep. Praying and, and going to sleep. But it, the point is that Paul tells us throughout the word to be in an in a attitude of prayer always. Always. Talking to the Lord. Calling on His name. One of my favorite things uh, to see is when a teacher is teaching and in the, in the middle of it, he just kind of stops and says, Lord, help me. I, I really need to express. I really want to be able to get this idea out. Because constantly and consistently, we need to be in prayer. So we have Jesus, Peter, James, and John up on top of the mountain. They have this incredible experience. Meanwhile, down below the mountain, the disciples are, are facing a challenge. They haven't been able to do something that they expected to be able to do. So they're struggling with it and through it. So we know the, the child. What's the deal with the child? Well, the child is demon possessed. We also know that it's the man who spoke as his father. And that this is his only child. The other gospels tell us that. In Luke chapter 9 verse 38. It says, the man in the multitude cried out and said, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son. For he is my only child. So it's his only son. We know that he's being persecuted or afflicted by the demon, right? He's cast in the fire and in water. He has convulsions. What is the devil's goal? What is the devil's concept for us? It's to, to rob, steal, and destroy, right? And that's exactly what he's doing in this boy's life. He's robbing him, he's stealing from him, and he's trying to destroy him. That's what the devil does. There may be a promise of power, a promise of pleasure, but at the end of all those things, all there is waiting is destruction. That's what he does, and that's how he moves, and that's how he works. But then it says, I just want you to see it, it says that I spoke to your disciples and they, that they should cast it out, but they could not. There's an interesting Greek word that's used there that kind of helps us understand what's going on. The word is eskuo. It means to have the power within yourself. I just want you to hear what he's saying. They didn't have the power within themselves to cast out the demon. Yeah, they never did. The power to be or to do or to accomplish the things that God has called us to has never resided within us. Unless Jesus Christ gives us the authority Unless Jesus Christ gives us the power. There's nothing in and of us. There's not, not a certain checklist that you can fill out. Look, I checked off all these boxes. And I get to the end of those boxes. And now I'm going to have the power to heal. Or I'm going to have the power to cast out the demon. No, the Bible tells us that that power comes from the Lord. We are the conduit. We are the hands and feet. We are the tool that God uses to bless other people's lives. But in order for that tool to be utilized, it needs to be in connection with the master, right? If I go out and I say, man, in fact, I've got a perfect example. The other day, the exhaust fell off my truck. That ever happened to you guys? You're thinking, no, I don't drive old piece of junk like you. I kind of take, that hurts me. Just, 
I might resemble that remark. So, my, <clears throat> my exhaust fell off. It's hanging on the rear end. It's just teetering on the rear end. It's been like that for four or five days. Teetering on the rear end. Now, I got you know, I need to fix this exhaust leak because it sounds like it's really something going down the road, but it's really not something. <laughs> so, what I'm going to do to fix that is I, and I went into my garage and I got this big toolbox, man. It, well, it's not that big, but it's a top box, you know, like on a, a Craftsman top, I don't know, four drawer maybe, eight drawer, I don't know. Small, cheap, heavy. I take that toolbox full of tools and I pick it up and I carry it out to the truck and I set it down right by where the rear end is. And then I pulled up my chair and I sat down. (laughs) And I stared and I stared and I stared. But you know what? Those tools never did fix the rear end. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I got to go get a new set of tools. Maybe those tools aren't the right kind of tools to do that job. So I put the toolbox back in the garage and that's why... My exhaust still leaks. Now the concept of that story is ridiculous, right? Tools don't fix nothing. The person who uses the tools does. And that's what's going on in this story. The disciples are trying to take this on in themselves. And they're trying to accomplish this work in themselves. But without them being in the hands of the Master. And Jesus is going to tell us the key, right? The key is in the story. He tells us the key is prayer, is that connection. we got to have that relationship with Him. And we got to maintain that relationship with Him. A lot of times we live our lives, guys, as Christians, uh, the power that, of God moving through us is like, remember when we was kids and we play with magnets? Did you guys ever do that? We still got a couple in the, in the trailer that are like, if you got your finger in between them, oh, you're going to get pinched. They're tough magnets. You know, if you go the opposite way and they push... And then you're not holding on tight and it flips out the other hand and it comes around and it'll get you. It'll get you. Now if I take a paper clip, I can rub it on that magnet and I take that paper clip away and it thinks it's a magnet. And I can go around with that, that paper clip and I can pick up little things, you know. And, but eventually over time it gets, uh, starts running out of juice. So if I go back over to the magnet and I rub it on that magnet again, it gets magnetized again and I can take the paper clip and go do things with the papers. It's got power again. That's how some of us live our Christian walk. We keep finding a time where we can go rub up next to Jesus and get juiced. And then we go from there and we got a little bit of power and we're <clears throat> ministering and working. But we run out and we got to go back. But what the Lord wants from us is to stay connected to the magnet. Then you never run out of juice. And that's what Jesus is getting to here. You got to stay connected. You guys got to stay connected to me. You got to stay with me. The power does not come from within you. The power comes from within me. So look what he says in verse 19. So he answered and said to him, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Who do you think he's talking to? Yeah, that's the disciples. He is talking to the disciples. Guys. Faithless. It's the Greek word apistos. You know, in the Greek, if you put the word a in front of a Greek word, it means without. Like uh, agnostic. You guys have heard that before, right? Agnosis. It means without knowledge. Or atheist, right? Atheist. It means without God. And this is apistos, without faith. 
In other words, they weren't functioning in faith that God would work through them to do the work. They were trying to do the work themselves. How long are you guys not going to get it? That it's through me, that it's through the Lord that you find this power moving and working in your life. In Hebrews 11.6, listen, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to please God, then you've got to have faith. What's that look like? For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's faith. That's what, what faith looks like. That's what faith functions like. And so, all healing and all discipleship and all ministry that we do needs to be done through the authority of Jesus Christ. Through Him. Otherwise, it's just meaningless. It doesn't have any great value. So as Jesus lays this out for them, He says, at the end of that verse, He says, Bring Him to Me. Most important thing we can ever hold on to. What do you got to do with somebody? We got the, <coughs> somebody loves you crusade, which I didn't let you guys play, huh? So, so uh, because I'm dumb. You're going to play it tonight? But nobody's going to be here tonight. How did I forget that? Oh, sorry, Jason. I mean, a lot of people will be here tonight. Okay, so... I think Jason took that personally. I, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. Okay, we have Somebody Loves You coming up. And in view of the fact that we have Somebody Loves You coming up. And the concept that all discipleship, all ministry, everything that we do has to be done through the authority of Jesus Christ. And through His power. I'm going to ruin your day and have you play that videos. Just play them back to back. And check out Somebody Loves You Crusade. And we'll talk about some ways we can get plugged in for that. And what's going on with the boss stocks? Maybe. Hi, this is Raul Reese, and I'd like to personally invite you on August the 7th, 7 p.m. As we're going to have a concert and we're going to have a message. Esther Lynn and the Bostocks will be joining me at the CSI Fine Arts Auditorium. So we want you to invite somebody. We want to see you there by bringing someone that you love and you care for. So the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless. Hello everyone, my name is Greg, this is my wife Glenda, and we are so excited again to return to Buell Calvary Chapel. That's on Sunday morning, August the 9th at 10 a.m. We love y'all, and we have family there, as well as y'all being family to us. We love Pastor Jackie and Kathy. We have an incredible time every time we come Amen. to Buell Calvary we Chapel. We're excited about what God is going to do. So call your friends and your family members and get them out on Sunday morning, August the 9th. We also want to remind you, on Friday night, August the 7th, over at CSI, is a Magic Valley Outreach. I think this would be awesome if we could get 10,000 people from the Magic Valley. A lot of unsaved people. So let's try to get people there. It's going to be a powerful time, and I believe that God has got something great in store for the Magic Valley. So you can see that we're getting ready to head out in the RV, long journey from Shreveport, Louisiana to Buell, Idaho. But we're excited to see you all. See you soon.
so in light of that, okay, Somebody Loves You is coming up. Bostock's are going to be here on the 9th. We're reading about a story about disciples trying to do things on their own and, and not really relying on the Holy Spirit. Out in the foyer, we have postcards and we have bookmarks and we have and such a unique opportunity. Look, all week long, you're someplace, right? Nobody ceases to exist until next Sunday. So you spend all week going someplace, you stop somewhere, you go do something. If you grab the stack of those uh, postcards, you can leave them at the restaurant, you can give them to the, to the waitress that waits on you, you can hand them to your friends, you can give it to your co-workers. The more information we can get out, the better. But it's a great opportunity for people to come here to gospel, be ministered to, and what? It's not us, it's bringing them to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Bring him to me. So this is an effort where we're bringing him, where we know God's going to be. We know the Holy Spirit's going to be on, on that, the campus of CSI that day. We know that God's going to move in a mighty way. So we have an opportunity to learn the lesson that the disciples didn't get, where they tried to do it all themselves. And we can be a part of getting people to where they need to be so that they can meet Jesus. We got an opportunity to serve and be a part of it, to be ushers and to be workers and to be folks who are praying down up front with people who come forward. We have opportunity for all of those things. We, uh, we, we have such a, an awesome chance. But the problem is, most of us will hear the message or see the message or get the concept, but we don't do anything about it. Maybe we're, we're afraid. Look, in this case, you don't have to say nothing. Hand them a postcard. Hey, what do you think about coming to see somebody loves you? The point of somebody loves you is what we're all said. Give to somebody you love. If you care about them, and you care about where their eternity is going to be spent, hand them a postcard. It's really not that insulting. Hey, I want to invite you to something. Ball's in their court, right? We have, I don't even know, probably a thousand of them postcards you got too many still. So when you guys head out, grab them, hand them out, get them bookmarks, fill out the name, start praying for people. We want to see our world change, right? Are we happy with the direction? No. Everybody satisfied with where we're going so far? No. Woohoo! I mean, we're... Another term for Obama? Okay, then. Well, what are you going to do about it? It's not about... We don't need another Messiah. It's not going to, the problem's not going to be finding a guy to vote for that's going to change everything. How's it going to change? When people ch- come to Jesus, they come to know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, things change. Amen. So if we want things to change, we need to get cracking. Yes. And that's exactly, here Jesus is up on the mountain, he's, he's having some time with these other disciples, but these guys back here, they're not doing it. They're not ready. They fall short. And Jesus' word to the crowd Bring them to me. Bring them to me. And that's, that's what we have an opportunity to do. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to where Jesus can make a difference in their life. Now look at verse 20. It says, then they brought him to him. Then they did. Then they brought him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So the demon is doing everything he can to just rack this kid. Make his life miserable. So Jesus asks the father a question. How long has he been like this? Now why do you think Jesus asked that question? Do you really think it's because he didn't know? So because we know Jesus knew how long, what's he trying to get to 
from the Father? What's he want the Father to recognize? I think one of the things he wants the Father to see is his own powerlessness. And we all feel that, don't we? We are powerless. That, that life is sometimes, well, let's not even put sometimes. That life can be out of control. And we're powerless to change it. Where's the power come from to change our life? Being connected to Jesus Christ. Because being connected to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that everything in my life is just going to work and all of a sudden I'm not going to have any problems. But being connected to Jesus Christ means I have strength for the journey. I have the power that I need to overcome, to be the, the tool in the Master's hand that I need to be. If I'm connected to Him. If I'm in Christ, I'm staying in that right place. And so, He wants the Father to know, it's got to be with me. You got to be connected to me. You, otherwise, life is out of control. Now that he said, how long has this been? He says, from childhood. Now there's a couple of things I just want you to grasp from this. One, if a demon can possess a child, then Jesus can too. Did you get it? Yep. So he said, here we have a young man coming before Jesus, <coughs> demon possessed. The father says the demon's been with him since he was a child. And that word for child means small child. If a demon can possess a child when he's a small child, then Jesus can too. The stronger man is infinitely better than the, than the devil. So Jesus is able. What's that mean? It means ministry to young kids matters. That those little children who, who come with their heart full of Jesus and uh, at VBS, and they're saying uh, that they love him and they want to trust him with their life. That matters. There's value to that. There's value to that. Some might say, well, that, they don't really know what they're doing. Well, I know a lot of adults don't really know what they're doing. Since when has that been a, the category for whether or not somebody's got it together? The reality is, the demon can be there, Jesus can be there. So we see this young man from childhood. The father says often he's thrown him into the fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So the father, what's he do? He calls out for the compassion of Jesus Christ. That's where he goes. That's where he's looking for help. The important thing for us to see, the father doesn't say, look, I deserve this because I'm a pretty good person. The father doesn't say any number of things he could have said. He falls upon the mercy and compassion of God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have compassion on me. Life has been hard. This has been a very difficult journey. This has been a very difficult time in my life. Have compassion. What do we know about Jesus? When he saw the multitudes, what does it say over and over again about him? He was moved with compassion. Oh, John 3.16, we all know that. For God so what the world? So God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave, what, His one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So do we know that God loves us? 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says that one of the attributes of God is love. God is love. So He's, he's reaching out for that attribute of God that He desperately needs. That's where we're going to connect with God. That's where we're going to... You're not going to connect with God in His justice. Justice is not good for you. Justice is not what we want. What we want is God's love and mercy and grace. And so the Father calls out for that. Look, in your compassion, 
you know, be compassionate. If you have compassion for us, help us. So Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible. Oh, is that what yours says? If you, oh, it's, if you can believe. In the Greek, what he says is, if you can, all things are possible. It's a Hebrew idiom that says, if, if you believe. If you, if you can believe, if your faith is in me, all things are possible. For we can do all things through Christ who does what? Strengthens us, right? This is exactly what the Word of God lays out for us. And so immediately the father of the child cried. Now I just want you to get the scene because sometimes we read familiar stories and we miss it. So when it says immediately the father cried out, what it means is the same shriek and shrill and screams that his child has been screaming with the demon in him and the torture that he's been going through, the father now expresses as he comes to the end of him. And he realizes, I can't do nothing. I can't save him. I can't fix him. I can't solve the problem. I can't make the pain go away. I can't do anything. As he realizes that I was powerless to protect my child from this event in his life. And I'm powerless to bring him through this. Now, probably most of us have either been there or know someone who has. Where you realize... Life is out of control and things happen that you can't fix. And so this father cries out with a passion that he just literally falls apart before Jesus. That's what the phrase intimates. He falls apart. He's not trying to keep it together. He's not trying to pretend like he's okay. He is a mess. On the ground, weeping, crying, falling apart before God. Man, there's no better place to fall apart than before Him. But you know, if we come to that place and we try to keep it together, we just put it all, you know, I'm I'm really okay. I'm really okay. Then we're not going to be like this Father who's going to be honest and break before God. Because we're all broke. You can pretend not to be broke, but you're broke. And you can pretend not to be bothered by things, but you're bothered by things. Or you can come before God in honesty... And lay your heart bare. And as soon as he lays his heart bare and he begins to weep. And he begins to cry. As he cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Most important part is next. Help my unbelief. That's real life. Lord, I believe. It's a profession of faith. Look. Please hear this. Please, 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 please. It is not the quality of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. Let me say it again. It is not the quality of your faith. It is the object of your faith. Who is the object of your faith? It needs to be Jesus Christ. If the object of your faith is yourself, if the object of your faith is your church, if the object of your faith is your good works, if the object of your faith is anything other than Jesus Christ, there's no power there. If the object of your faith is Jesus Christ. So where's this father broken, weeping, crying? You can almost see him reaching out for Jesus. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. That's a pretty incredible statement. 
basically what he's professing now is he's, he's calling Jesus master, kurios. Uh, it's a word used for God throughout the Old Testament. God, I believe. Reaching out for Jesus Christ. And then you miss it in English, but in the Greek he says, please help me continuously with my unbelief. Is there ever a time where we have just arrived? Oh, we, I think we want to pretend that. We want to pretend, you know, I really have arrived. I really don't ever struggle anymore. <laughs> but that, this father, broken before God, crying out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, is saying, Lord, I need your help every day. Now, the disciples who were down the hill trying to heal this boy, they were probably in a state of mind that says, you know, we don't really need Jesus. We can handle this ourselves. But this father recognizes I'm powerless to, to, to save my son. I can't protect him. I can't stop any of this. And he calls out to God in an impassioned plea. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And God moves. The Bible says, The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Right? What's fervency? Passion. You know, when you pray for something like that, father's praying for his son. Been a few times I've seen that. Where, I mean, crazy, hard life stuff. And people praying with passion. That's how we're supposed to pray all the time. Not only when our hearts broke. So he's got this crazy, impassioned cry. This, this calling on the Lord. Fervency, passion. How, what makes us righteous? Does that mean if you, did, if you went to church every Sunday for a whole month? No? Well, perfect attendance in Sunday school. No, that didn't do it. I prayed every day, morning and evening. I read my Bible all week. Did that make me righteous? What makes me righteous? That I'm connected to Jesus Christ. That I'm connected to Jesus Christ. For he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. He bore my sin so that I could bear His righteousness. He imputes it. He gives it to me. Why does He give it to me? Because I, like a father, say, Lord, I believe. I believe. And I am not apistos without faith, but I am pistos with faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe. But the reality is, our walk and our life require us to be connected to Him all the time. Or you'll be like the disciples down the hill, and you're not ready. And most of us in life experience, I know for me, I've had life experience come and hit me, you know, broadside. I wasn't expecting. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? And it's a little hard now for me to respond in the Spirit if I'm not already walking in the Spirit. You guys understand what I mean? If I all of a sudden I go, oops, I need to pray. Well, that's good. I'm not telling you don't do that. For crying out loud, pray. But if we're prayed up, we're stayed up, we're wearing out our knees, we're staying connected to Christ, when that event occurs, we're ready. In season and out, we'll have the right word, we'll have the right attitude. When I am connected, when I'm spending time with the Lord, and the Lord is, is moving and ministering in my life and opening my eyes to His word, and I'm doing that all week, I have a totally different countenance. You think I'm lying? Ask my wife. She can tell you right now. She can tell you whether last week was good for that or bad. She knows me like a old 
pair of shoes. So she, so she's, she knows. She just knows. Now, now she can't tell me because then we'll fight. But she can pray for me. And it's amazing how many times without a word she'll just pray for me and, and the Lord gets me on track. Because when God does a work in us, it's a whole lot better than when our spouses do it for us, isn't it? So when God does the work, it gets us on track, we're connecting. Now, I, what I find is I have the right answer for the, the random call I wasn't expecting, or the, the, the accident that took place I didn't know I was going to go to, or the midnight phone call when somebody died. And I, you, don't get, you don't always get, hey, you know, tomorrow I'm going to call you because my, my grandpa's going to die. No, you don't get that. You've got to be ready, in season, and out. Even the guys down the hill. How do we stay ready? We stay connected to Jesus Christ. we got to be where he's at. Just like this father, he cries out, continuously help my unbelief. Now look what happens in verse 25. It says that <clears throat> Jesus saw the people came running together. Now all the people see Jesus, they see him with this demon kid, and they're trying to make a spectacle. You get what I mean? They're all running. Oh wait, Jesus is going to do a miracle. Hurry, we got to get down there and see it. And Jesus is like, man, these people are... are, are kind of chasing the wrong stuff need a relationship they just want to see the show so whenever jesus sees him running you see the attitude where he says man let's get this done so he rebuked the unclean spirit saying deaf and dumb spirit i command you come out of him and enter him no more god's commandments are his enablements could that demon stay no god says go he goes in fact the scripture tells us the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly, so he flops down on the ground and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he's dead. Does that remind you of another story we read in Mark? You remember the, the ruler of the synagogue had a little girl was sick, and he, he came and said, Jesus, come on, my, my daughter's sick, but while they're on the way, the daughter dies. You remember what Jesus said? He said, what? Just believe. Just believe. So the boy convulses, falls down on the ground to everybody around. It looks like he's dead. We can argue from now to the end of time whether or not he actually is dead. All I know is Jesus reaches out like he did to Jairus' daughter and he took his hand. And when Jesus says, come, you come. Whether you're dead or not. Immaterial. Jesus reached out for his hand and, and lifted him up. So he lifted him up and he arose. The key to that impossible case that nobody else can seem to get worked around is we got to bring them to Jesus. The key to a nation that is spiraling out of control in the opposite direction of God, the key to that nation is not more laws or, or more craziness. The key to that nation getting turned around is Jesus Christ, is revival. Without revival, nothing's going to change. And if we keep waiting for revival to start with somebody else, then we're going to pass this crazy world off to our kids. And then they're going to have to do it. But most of us said when we were having kids, you know, I hope to give them a better world than the one I got. And we haven't kept our promise. We didn't keep it. Now maybe it's not exactly our fault for everything that's gone wrong in the world, but we have what is necessary to change it. We have the truth of Jesus Christ. 
And all I got to do is bring them to Jesus. It was incredible in the, in the old days of the Jesus movement when I was like four years old. I don't really remember this, but I heard stories. <clears throat> people would go around in their VW bus and pick up six people to take to church. Come and see. Now, I don't care where anybody goes to church. I don't care if anybody ever knows the name Calvary Chapel. I just want them to come see Jesus. Come see Jesus. Come taste and see the Lord is good. Come experience what he has for you. Hear the words that he has promised to you. I I know Chuck Smith used to tell the story. They had so many hippies in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, that people started complaining. Because they come in barefoot, and they don't wash their feet, and the carpet's getting ruined. And Chuck said, rip the carpet out. I don't care about the dumb carpet. We're not here to pass carpet on to somebody else. We're here to pass souls, right? To bring people to Jesus. To bring people to Jesus. And just, I mean, that's just a little thing, right? But, but God did a really big work for a period of time in the Jesus movement. Not just through Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, churches across the nation it was happening in. I just don't know all their stories. But I'm saying that needs to happen if our nation's going to get right side up. Right? Now look, I believe that Jesus Christ one day is going to come, sound a trumpet, and call his church home. But the last thing I want to be doing when he does that is sitting in my living room complaining about what a lousy place this world is. When I have the key to changing it. I want to be doing. I want to be connected to him. Empowered like that magnet so that I can hand somebody a a postcard. I can invite him to church. You don't know what to say. Just say, hey, come meet Jackie. He's... You know, a knucklehead like us, and we can, he'll tell you about the Bible. I don't care. Just having opportunity to share the truth of who Jesus Christ is with our world. That's what we got to do. One day, if Jesus don't come, I'm going to die an old man, and my grandkids got to live here. And I don't want to leave it like this. I didn't take good care of it. I don't got that much time. But I can use the time I got, can I? To tell people, Jesus Christ changes you. He can take that crazy case and breathe life into it. For you and I, we, the world at large, is dead in trespasses and sin. But God is able to make us alive in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? And that's the message that we need to take and share. And so Jesus heals this guy. Then they leave Galilee. Now, as he's leaving Galilee... Just a couple more verses. As he's leaving Galilee, he's not ever going back. So now, at this moment, Jesus' face is turning to the cross. He's headed to the cross. And as he's headed that way, as he's leaving Galilee, his ministry in Galilee is over, he goes into the house. See the definite article? He went into the house. Jesus' house in probably Capernaum, where he did most of his ministry there in the Galilee area. So he goes into this house. Remember, he grew up in Nazareth. They moved to Capernaum. Uh, not a stretch that this is uh, um, Mary's house, Jesus, where Jesus is staying. The disciples come to him and ask him, why couldn't we do it? How come we couldn't cast it out? So he said to them, this kind only comes out. Now just hear this. 
if you are connected to me? What are the methods by which we can be connected to him? Prayer and fasting. Prayer we can do on a moment's notice, right? Fasting takes a little bit of time. We've got to kind of think that out. Well, you can accidentally fast because you're chasing God so much you forget to eat. But the idea of fasting is saying, look, I'm going to set aside time so that I can develop a hunger for God. Stop satisfying myself or giving myself all this junk around me. I'm going to give myself God. I'm going to be satisfied in Him. And prayer is an opportunity for us to have total reliance on God and His authority. And that's something that we're supposed to be about every day, all day long. Scripture lays out for us, Matthew 6, Matthew 9, that there's a time for fasting, okay? There's a time. Jesus said, while I'm here, nobody's going to fast. But when I leave, they will. Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, when you fast. So the idea is assumed that there would be a time for a fast. Every Yearly we do a fast. <coughs> and throughout the year, occasionally, we'll call for a fast, a three-day fast. You can do a fast anytime you want. But the point is, it's a way to connect to God. To set aside time to be hungry for Him. This kind only comes out if you are connected to the Lord. Salvation only moves, the Spirit only moves when we are connected to Him. So Jesus leaves. It says He departed from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know. So He's leaving on His way to the cross. Now He just wants the disciples to understand why He's there. For he taught his disciples and he said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed. Paradidomai. Paradidomai is used a lot of ways. It's used throughout the Old Testament every time they killed a prophet. We define the word paradidomai as betrayed, but it's more than that. It means they're going to kill me. They're going to take my life, just like they did the Old Testament prophets. It was a word used in uh, Jewish literature for martyrdom. So, I'm going to be martyred. I'm going to be betrayed. Parodidomai. It's used throughout uh, the ministry of Christ of what happens in the Passion. It's used in Romans for how God turns over the wicked in judgment. It's used to tell us how God delivered Jesus to die for humanity's sin. In Galatians 2.20 and Ephesians 2, which I uh, quoted to you in Ephesians 5, it refers to how Jesus gave himself for the people's sins. He says, I am going to be betrayed, parodidomai, I am going to die for your sin. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Never did Jesus talk about his passion without the resurrection. There is no death without resurrection. There is no suffering without the light of joy coming in the day. The Lord never talks about His people going through a time of darkness and it's so dark and then it gets even darker and then it's completely black. No, the Lord says you may go through a time of, of darkness, you may go through a time of persecution, you may go through hard times, but the morning is coming. There is always a resurrection there is always a silver lining. There is always a blessing of the truth of the power of God moving and working in the life of His people. Jesus never talked about His death without His resurrection. 
So he says, I am coming. I have come. He's telling them who he is, what he's here to do. I have come to die for the sins of the people. How many of the people? 1 John 2, 2 says, He himself, Jesus Christ, is our hilasterion. The Greek word hilasterion means mercy seat. <clears throat> or in your Bibles it may say propitiation. The mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is just a box. In the Ark of the Covenant went all the failures of the nation of Israel. Right? Well, what do you mean, Jackie? Well, what went in there? Ten Commandments. How long did it take him to break that? He didn't even get down the mountain, right? Ten Commandments are in there. A bowl of manna. The people called manna. God always called it bread from heaven. The people called it, what's it? They got Aaron's rod that budded. Why did it bud? Because God's people were rebelling against his rule and authority. And God had to show them he had a plan and a purpose moving through Aaron. All their failures went in this box. It symbolizes where we fall short. And without the hilasterion, all you would have is judgment from God on failure. So what's the top of the box? What's it called? Mercy seat. In the Greek, hilasterion. Jesus is the hilasterion. He's the mercy seat. He's the covering for our sin. He's the place in which the blood was applied. He was the one that paved the way so that you and I and our brokenness could have a right relationship with God. And it's not by anything we have done, but by everything He has done. So we lay hold of such a great salvation, of such great grace. We grab a hold of it. So in 1 John he says, He's our hilasterion. He's our mercy seat. And not only for us, but for the whole world. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. How are they going to call if we don't bring them to Jesus? Just like that father. How did the father have the opportunity to fall broken before God? Somebody brought him to Jesus. We got to bring him to Jesus. We got to bring him to him. This is why he came. This is the purpose for which he's come. Right now, the disciples are afraid, right? It says they didn't really understand what was going on, and they, they're afraid. They're afraid. Because they're focused on the wrong things. We're going to see next week. They're afraid because they struggle in prayer. They're afraid because they desire for personal greatness. They're afraid because they desire their will to be done on earth. We cannot walk in fear and in faith at the same time. Got to pick one. And the key to walking in faith is to do what that father did. We fall down before the God of the universe broken and we cry out, Lord, I believe, help me. And God will answer. Not most of the time. God will answer that cry all the time. The Lord Jesus Christ calls all men everywhere to repent and believe. When we are walking in fear and struggling in fear, it indicates that we are neglecting a relationship with God. That we're not connected. That the power is not flowing through. And we need to get connected. We need to be where He is, holding fast to Him. 
God wants us to desire Him above all others. And if we are able to desire Him, then you will have everything you desire. As long as you're chasing God's gifts, you'll be empty. But when your desire for Him becomes that chief desire in your life, then you will have everything you desire. And you will be connected. And you will have the strength that you need to be the man or woman God's calling you to be. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.